Hey, aloha and welcome to Stan the Energy Man here on Think Tech Hawaii. Stan Osterman coming to you live and direct from Kailua, Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I have a, a super special guest today. And I mean, of all my guests, he's he's in the top two. And he's supposed to be talking to us from New York today, but he's in London. So he's it, it's like one in the morning for him. So he, we got to really cut him some slack if he starts <laughs> mumbling or whatever. But he's so special. I actually shaved and took a shower before the show. And I never do that for the show now that we're on Zoom. So he is super special. His name is Andy Marsh, and he's the CEO of Plug Power. A used to be small um, hydrogen company. Now it's a global hydrogen power. So... Andy, welcome to the show again. This is your your annual pilgrimage to my show, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure to be here, Stan. I always enjoy our conversation. Well, I really, really do uh, value your time and your participation on the show here. So let's get going. And, uh, you know, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about aviation and hydrogen and aviation. And I know that there's been a lot going on. Um, United signed some contracts for some commuter fuel cell things that are going to be put on 100 airplanes and Airbus is doing stuff. And there's a lot of people working in UAVs and small commuter type uh, vehicles that run on fuel cells. What's going on with fuel cells and air aviation that you're aware of? You know, Stan, we're involved in almost everything you mentioned. So uh, as, as you know, Airbus actually is looking at plans to turn all their future airplanes post-2035 into hydrogen airplanes. And part of that activity, they're looking at establishing hydrogen hubs across the world. And in the United States, uh, we're looking at location for a hydrogen hub for Airbus that uh, will meet their needs. You know, I think they're probably looking at places where we built green, looking to build green hydrogen plants, like in outside Dallas. Uh, you mentioned uh, regional aircraft. We actually shipped uh, our first fuel cells. Uh, at the end of the fourth quarter to Universal Hydrogen, who's actually looking to do flights, uh, test flights in early 2024 of regional aircrafts. Uh, they're essentially converting old regional aircrafts into hydrogen-based. And uh, finally, uh, we have a deal with Heaven Drone, which is a drone company uh, in Israel that's uh, working on drone technology. And, you know, fuel cells have an advantage of being lighter in weight, and can run about three times longer than running on a lithium battery. So uh, all that's pretty exciting work that's going on in that space. Outstanding. Well, as you guys uh, in, in the big world start thinking about those hydrogen hubs, you know, remember Hawaii's been uh, a serious place for refueling cargo ships and, and airplanes for decades and decades. I mean, ever since we had uh, whaling ships uh, running on steam, we used to, we used to do coal and we used to, we still do oil for, uh, you know, bunker fuel for big ships going in and out. So don't forget Hawaii. Don't forget Hawaii. We're, 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 I we're right here. I won't forget Hawaii, Stan. Okay. Uh, but, you, but you mentioned the hydrogen hubs. There's so much going on. Uh, we, we have a special team uh, that's working on with many folks. Uh, you know, for example, in New York, we're working with people like NYSERDA, which is the New York State uh, Energy uh, Re Research Development Organization uh, and many of the utilities in the state. Uh, I probably spend a little time every day on hydrogen hubs. So, uh, if you're at the folks in Hawaii, if you're 
interested in plug working with you on a hydrogen hub, just send me an email. Yeah, we got your email address. So, uh, you know, when you give me an offer like that, I'll start pumping on the politicians and start bending their ear. And, you know, because, you know, Hawaii, unlike a lot of places on the mainland, or I guess actually like several states, we, we've been importing our energy um, and we don't have any natural fossil fuel energy, but we have tons of natural energy. We have Believe it or not, we have hydroelectric from all of our old sugar and pineapple fields, the irrigation, the, the rainwater that lands in the mountains comes downhill yep. and runs into the ocean. And when you add all those little, you know, 50, 60 kilowatt streams up or put a couple in a stream, you've got a megawatt and then you got 20 megawatts and then you got 50 megawatts just in hydroelectric, you know, and that's that starts to get to be a significant amount. And people also forget that we have geothermal. Uh, most people think on the Big Island's the only place we have geothermal, but we have actually have geothermal on Maui and Oahu that we could be taking advantage of, especially with new horizontal drilling and things. So that's all clean and firm power, 24 hours a day. So that 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 would be great. But we also need hydrogen for the electric transportation side of the equation, and that's hydrogen you have to store along with solar power and wind power hydrogen. I mean electricity you have to store. And hydrogen is the way to store it. So we're we're looking at uh, turning over into big time hydrogen, folks. Here, I, I should mention, uh, Dan, we are working with your U.S. senator, one of your U.S. senators in Washington, and uh, okay. discussing hydrogen hubs. So uh, uh, your team, uh, your your state team, is uh, working with us and trying to encourage us to uh, engage in Hawaii. Okay, well, I've, I've briefed both of our senators when I was working for the state in hydrogen, and one of our congressmen, <clears throat> who actually represents all the neighbor islands and, and uh, windward Oahu, uh, he was an F uh, C-17 pilot in the Air National Guard, and I was his commander. So, you know, I, I love talking to him, and, you know, even Tulsi Gabbard was in the Army Guard, and I was in the Air Guard. So I've had <clears throat> a run of three congressmen in Hawaii, Mark huh. DeKayak, Tulsi Gabbard, and Kai Kahele, all, you know, were in the Guard with me and gives me a, a good opportunity to talk to them. And, you know, uh, Schultz, uh, uh, Schatz, rather, um, Brian Schatz is uh, probably the guy that would work on the hydrogen stuff. Maisie Hirono kind of does softer things. Um, she's into education and things like that, so... I'll, I'll, Shots has been talking yeah, to our people. I'll, I'll go rattle his cage a little bit. Yeah, he, go put a good word in for us. Yeah, he was actually critical with uh, getting funding for HCAT for us. So um, I'll Got get it. back and talk with him a bit. Fantastic. So, so what else has been going on besides the hydrogen hubs and aviation with plug power? I keep seeing you in the media all over the world <laughs> from Korea to Europe and, and everywhere in between. Yes, that's a loaded question, Stan. So I think since we've spoken last, we formed a joint venture with Renault uh, for vehicles in Europe. You know, Europe expects to have 500,000 late commercial vehicles on the road, which are fuel cell, by 2030. And we believe we can get 30% of the market together. The, the JV's named Hyvea, uh, which is the hydrogen way. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that group, we already have three vehicles, two people movers, uh, one people mover and two to move goods. Uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, I'm here in Europe. If I start going, uh, 
start going to the east and stop in Egypt. Uh, our electrolyzer business, actually, uh, we're building a 100-ton plant. We're making green ammonia in Egypt with Aroscom, the largest fertilizer manufacturer in the world. And we're looking to have that plan up and running for COP27, which is really exciting. Uh, as I run further east uh, in Korea, we have a joint venture with SK, the second or lar third largest conglomerate in the world, in Korea. And we're looking to do both stationary power at large scale uh, up to, you know, our first project, big project will be 200 megawatts of fuel cells uh, to put power on the grid. Uh, if I head south to Australia, we're building a factory in Australia with Fortescue, one of the largest mining companies that make green ammonia, as well as hydrogen for fuel cells in their mining operations. And then continuing eastward, I'm in the United States, and um, it's been a pretty exciting year for Plug Power. You know, we, we've doubled our revenue. Uh, we've bought a number of companies. We now have over 2,400 people worldwide. Uh, we're building the biggest gigafactory to make fuel cells and electrolyzers in the world in Rochester, New York. We're constructing two green hydrogen plants, one the largest pen green hydrogen plant in the world uh, in Alabama, New York, and uh, as well as one in Georgia. And we have plans to have over 500 tons of green hydrogen across the state. And I forget, I forgot in Europe, we also formed a JV with Axiona, which is uh, the largest provider of retail renewable power, uh, renewable power in uh, the Iberia Peninsula. So uh, a lot going on, Stan. When it comes to uh, ammonia, you know, that's one of the things you brought up a couple of times in your, in your last statements. Um, there's there's two pieces of ammonia that are, that are intriguing to me. Number one, a lot of people probably don't realize that unless they've been to the garden center to buy fertilizer. But right now there's a worldwide shortage of fertilizer. Uh, and a big piece of that is ammonia. And another part is that ammonia is a great way to ship hydrogen um, at room temperature and and basically static pressure because it's liquid. And we're, we're used to dealing, it, it's not exactly a, a friendly chemical in, in terms of it can be a caustic chemical, but it, at least we have the protocols set for shipping and handling and stuff, and they have a regular, a really good track record of safety so far. So in, in your world, in the hydrogen world, in the electrolyzer world, is, is ammonia a, a big piece of moving hydrogen? I think you're going to see... Um... Ammonia being a big piece, you know, you take a look at the work we're doing with Fortescue in Australia, Stan, and they're really looking to ship green ammonia uh, to both Japan and Korea. You know, a place like Australia looks at the world and say, they've been a great uh, provider of natural resources. And one of the natural resources they have is the sun and how to leverage the sun to create jobs for people. Uh, they believe that they can become a next net exporter of green ammonia. Lots of people are looking to burn green ammonia, especially in the shipping industry. Um, you know, moving the density of green ammonia from an energy point of view is really very attractive. And so I think that you'll see a, a good deal. Of, we, we're dealing with a good deal of people who are looking at green ammonia 
as well as uh, green methanol, uh, combining you know green hydrogen with carbon that was captured or in the future, uh, direct carbon capture. Uh, and you can use that directly in the same vehicles you have today. So there's a lot of uh, attractiveness to that you see going on. So when you say burning ammonia for in the, the in the energy side, are you talking about in turbines or internal combustion engines or? Yeah, in, in actually both, Stan, you see both activities going on. All right. And so you still have, you would still have uh, NOx, but you would have very little carbon. Yeah. So, so and when, and you look got... at the, when you look at the NOx, what they tell me, I'm not an expert in this one, um, that they, a lot of folks will tell you, you know, I was with a, uh, a company that runs lots of peaker plants in the U.S. for electricity, and they felt it would be easy to scrub out the NOx with their okay. equipment they have. So that's how they think about the NOx. Okay, good. Yeah, because, um, you know, when it comes to moving ammonia around, if I had to compare liquid hydrogen with ammonia, I think I'd pick the, the ammonia because liquid hydrogen, the, the, the doers are expensive. The energy it takes to get at that cold is expensive. And then if you spill any, whatever you spill it on is frostbitten or destroyed um, yeah. instantly. So uh, I think ammonia is a really attractive way to do it. And you're, you're kind of giving me the, the picture that ammonia is going to be a big, big player in the hydrogen world. And for those chemists out there or people who remember their high school chemistry, that's NH3. It's three hydrogen atoms and one nitrogen atom makes ammonia. So it's yeah. a real basic uh, chemical. Yeah, I think ammonia is interesting for international shipping. I think for local storage and local transportation, like in the like within the United States, I think liquid hydrogen is probably superior. Um, and I think um, I think you'll see both. Okay. Uh, I think the other challenge, if you use uh, NH3 directly, Stan. So, you, you know, you have a process where you have to make NH3, then you're going to have to crack NH3 for pure hydrogen. So I think that you'll see, um, you know, folks shipping green ammonia. Uh, and it'll be cost effective for international shipping, as you mentioned before, as well as burning in many applications. Well, I think you'll see liquid hydrogen be the primary means for storage and uh, delivering large quantities of hydrogen you know it's stand until there's a uh, hydrogen pipelines everywhere and uh, there's lots of work going on in hydrogen pipelines uh, you know i'm here in europe today and you know, we've had long discussions today about uh, you know, potential hydrogen pipelines uh, we're using natural gas pipelines in denmark into northern germany so that you'd be able to leverage wind power in Denmark, uh, create the hydrogen, uh, put it into a pipeline, just like you do natural gas today, and uh, be able to deliver that into uh, Central Europe. Well, the, that, that concept is definitely an exciting concept. What kind of strikes me, though, is what, what holds back using pipelines for hydrogen is uh, embrittlement and the fact that the pipelines that are existing have a variety of metals in them that they're not sure because they were put in 50 years ago or 80 years ago, what's there. But what about the concept of using fiber reinforced tubing 
and sliding it into the pipelines. Those those fi that fiber reinforced tubing is can be pressurized to over two thousand psi, so it's it's really a great option. Are they looking at that option? We are, Stamp. I should mention that when you um, talk, it depends where you are in the world. Um, if you talk to uh, people like SNAM, which uh, runs pipelines from northern Africa uh, into Europe, they'll tell you the soft metal that they use for pipelines in. Uh, Europe, 91% of them, you could transport hydrogen in. In the U.S., it's a little bit different. But when you talk to people like Williams, who runs lots of pipelines in the state, uh, they'll tell you that uh, they're always repairing and replacing pipelines and that uh, there really is an opportunity for hydrogen. I, I do think your idea makes sense with the sleeving. And certainly, we're looking at all options because eventually, we we really do believe that uh, you know it's so much more economic economical to uh, move hydrogen via pipeline. Exactly. Um, you know, hopefully coupled with soft caverns for storage, and then you really have a um, really a dynamic solution. Uh, you know, not to go too deep in the detail. You know, there's been lots of work done at UC Irvine uh, looking at uh, generating hydrogen using hydrogen storage with the caverns in California. And, you know, it's really probably the only way, you know, California can have a true renewable network if you have hydrogen as part of it, hydrogen storage, uh, just because of the long seasonal time frames where the wind's not blowing and you need electricity. So, um, you know, you look at the usage profile in California, hydrogen really would be a big answer. Yeah, I agree because you're avoiding all the transportation cost of uh, trucking or trains or however you're moving it. And the other nice thing about no matter whether you're using the existing pipelines or whether you modify them to, to carry stuff, you have the easements. And when it comes to the easements, that's a legal battle you don't have to fight, which is a huge deal when you start trying to move stuff. If you already have the easements on a pipeline, that makes things a whole lot easier to, to, to start going. Couldn't agree with you more, Stan. Okay. So is Plug doing anything on grid scale with, um, with grid storage? And, and uh, you know, my, my big frustration here in Hawaii is Hawaiian Electric. And even we have one co-op on the island of Kauai. And they don't really look at hydrogen as an energy storage medium uh, seriously. And I think once they price out the batteries they're going to need at the gigawatt scale to do, you know, gigawatt hours of batter of energy storage, they're going to they're going to finally realize that storing oil was cheap. Storing er, energy in batteries is not cheap, and hydrogen is a lot more like oil to store energy than than batteries. Is uh, is plug working in that area as well? Uh, absolutely, Stan. I, I should change my background. I can show you a stationary plant. Uh, we built a, a test facility at our uh, facility in New York. Uh, but our work with SK is really focused on that. Uh, by 2024, we expect to have a 200 megawatt plant operating, uh, which will be fed through uh, hydrogen from a chloralkali plant, where uh, the waste stream will be cleaned up and the hydrogen will be turned to electricity and put directly on the grid. Uh, when I uh, outlined uh, our objectives for the year, 
at during our update call last week. I talked about the fact that Plug Power is really looking closely at uh, soft caverns, uh, that we are looking to develop a strategy for long-term storage. Uh, they're really coupled with their stationary product, uh, which are not only there for the grid, but also looking at places like distribution centers where we are today for long-term backup, as well as data centers, which is a real hot topic. I was going to ask you about data centers next. Um, you know, that seems to be a really, real critical thing, especially, you know, I don't know if people catch this in the news, but part and parcel to the Bitcoin revolution that's going on worldwide is the, the mining that they have to do with computers to track all that data requires super reliable energy and it requires a lot of it. So you can't afford, I mean, if we're going to sit there and move a substantial amount of our economic uh, trading, uh, quote unquote, currency uh, in Bitcoin, um, those data centers become critical. Yeah. Now, does that make sense to you, Stan, that we should be using our energy to make Bitcoin? No. <laughs> I mean, the concept is interesting because it's it pretty much is inflation proof and it's, yeah. you know, it's it's secure. I don't have a problem with the security. But as an energy guy, if something happens like a, an, an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, whether yeah. it's from space or whether it's an, a deliberate attack, what happens when all that data dumps or disappears? What do you, how do you back up your investment of your life savings if it's all in Bitcoin and it yeah. was all digital and it just disappears? That's the you thing know, that scares me. You know, I think they're actually looking you know, and I'm not an expert at this either, but I think they're looking at different methodologies for um, um, creating coins, you know, with bidding systems and auctions. And I'm sure there's many in your audience who understand that better uh, than me, but it just seems um, preposterous to me that we would be wasting so much energy, especially in a future renewable world where we need more and more renewables putting into Bitcoin the way it's mined today, yeah. I think is rather challenging. I think, you know, I read about other methodologies that I think a lot of these uh, cryptocurrencies are working on to reduce energy. I think they make a lot of sense to me. But, uh, you know, we can't be wasting one or 2% of the world energy creating uh, currency. So I think we can do a lot. Uh, I, I, I do think I... Uh, I like the concept. I think it's just, uh, I think the different methodologies they're using at the, or looking and using, I think will make a lot of sense. You know, on your call last week, you also talked about policymaking. And a lot of people don't realize how important that is, especially when you go global. I mean, here in yeah. the U.S., we deal with local policy at the county level or city level, and then state policy at the state level, and then federal policies that the federal government takes. But when you go global, now you're in a whole different ballgame. Could you talk a little bit about the policy challenges that uh, a company that's global like yours faces? Well, I think I heard a lot. You know, I'm in Europe today, and I was looking at projects in the Nordic regions and looking at projects in France and looking at projects in Germany. And every, you know, and they are, you know, there is in Germany, there is in Europe a strong commitment to hydrogen. 
So they want to be able to have over 40 gigawatts of hydrogen electricity dedicated to hydrogen by 2030 with another 40 gigawatts in Northern Africa, a big number. Um, but, you know, you go into uh, the permit, you know, if you just go uh, where we work a lot at the EU level in Brussels, you know, where rules are set, you know, you, they use often a contracted differences, uh, which in essentially, you know, lets a user make up the cost difference between the older technology and the newer technology for a period. But, you know, you, you have a, you know, you have to just like United States, you have to address the EU level and you have to address, you know, each of the nations have different permitting rules and different regulations. Um, you know, it can take, you know, years in Germany to get permitting while some places in Europe, you can do the same thing in weeks. And um, so you really have to be adept and work with people who are adept. I mean, Plug works with, uh, you know, folks who actually are ex-EU ambassadors to uh, help us in European policy. Uh, at the local region, we have many partners to help us, but you really need to engage. I mean, you know, you plug is global. I mean, I have over 300 people in, in Europe at the moment. So, it's, you know, we have a fairly large size operation here and we continue to grow. U.S. policy, uh, pretty exciting at the moment. I know that there's been lots of disappointments with the Biden Build Back Better plan, but uh, the climate plans we believe will be passed. Most of our people think in April timeframe, and that would provide a $3 tax credit for uh, producing green hydrogen. That would be a big deal. It yeah, would that make would be. hydrogen competitive uh, across the board with gray hydrogen tomorrow. No, I, uh, so I look forward to that, those kind of policy changes here. Yeah. And, you know, the U.S. is, um, you know, if we do that, the U.S. will remain the leader in this technology. Um, you know, we have great companies in this technology and we've made great progress. And, uh, and look, to be successful, you need global co collaboration. But uh, the policy climate the country establishes will really determine how many jobs in the next generation industries we create here in our own country. Okay, we got about a minute left. And uh, last week when I was listening to you talk to everybody, you said the big thing in your in your playbook is you got to actually build stuff. Yes. And that was a big statement that you made and you repeated it a couple of times. So why don't you talk about actually building stuff and how important <laughs> that is? Okay, really important because you got to learn Building, we'll have two green hydrogen plants online this year. The New York facility and the Georgia facility will be done producing 70 tons of green hydrogen. Uh, we're building a 300,000 square feet fuel cell factory in Bethlehem, New York. Uh, we have a new facility in Germany. We're building a factory with Fortescue in Australia. And by the way, we'll ship an awful lot of fuel cells this year. Last year, I think the numbers, almost 10, 11,000 units were shipped last year. Uh, we built uh, almost 50 hydrogen stations. Um, you know, that's how, that's how you build out this hydrogen economy, San. One building at a time, but you got to build stuff. Well, 
Plug Power is definitely going big and not going home soon. Um, they're they're definitely on the road and and doing great things. So, uh, I, I my hats off to you for your leadership in the hydrogen industry, and what you're doing for with Plug Power and taking the role leading role around the world in promoting hydrogen and getting the getting people to understand that it really is the future. And uh, and I think you you can speak to that better than just about anybody. So I appreciate you staying up late tonight over there in London. <laughs> and I'll let well, you get some sleep now. But I give yeah, you the well, last word. Yeah, I guess, Stan, uh, wait till you hear what I got to tell you in 2023 when we speak at the end of this year. Okay, that's a guarantee. <laughs> I'll be giving you a you and Teal an email and uh, we'll get you set up uh, next January or or maybe December this year. Sounds great, Stan. Okay, Always Eddie, thank, a pleasure. Thanks very much, and aloha. And from Hawaii, uh, Stan, the Energy Man, signing off till next Tuesday from Think Tech Hawaii. Aloha.